Holy Father in heaven, we come to you now, Lord, and we're grateful for your love and compassion toward us, Lord. I pray for a time of blessing around your word. I pray, Father, a time of instruction, but also encouragement. Also, uh, Father in heaven, I want to pray for the folks that are uh, undergoing uh, illnesses and infirmities, and I'm especially thinking of our fellow, our brothers and sisters in India right now who are being impacted by COVID. I am so grateful, Father, for the testimony of, of Sherry and her witness to her friends. I pray, Lord, that there would be fruit there and that uh, these two folks would come to know Jesus as their Savior, Father. I also want to pray, Lord God, for the folks in our church who may be struggling now. I pray, Father, that, you would, uh, that your grace would be seen sufficient in their lives and that you would help them, Father, to win the victory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I handed out a little sheet of um, just uh, some prophecies. That's not all of them. There's a bunch of them, but that's just a few. So let's take a look at um, this passage here in Luke 24, 13 to 35. And um, let's go ahead and read uh, the first uh, three verses, three or four verses. It says here in Luke 24, 13, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So the village uh, is uh, named Emmaus. And the name uh, Emmaus means hot springs or warm baths. So I'm thinking that maybe, you know, that this was a place that people would go to for therapeutic reasons. Uh, for whatever reason, there were some hot springs in the area. Uh, Luke says that the distance between Jerusalem and Emmaus is about three score furlongs. And that's approximately seven and a half miles. It's approximately seven and a half miles. So if, uh, if you're war- walking at a normal pace... Uh, not the pace that my daughter Heather sets us at when she, in, during endurance, but in a normal pace, uh, a person, um, a healthy person, I should say, could probably reach this little village in about an hour and 45 minutes. If you were going at a leisurely pace, like I'm thinking that these two were doing, I mean, they were deep in discussion and stuff, it might be two and a half hours might be two and a half hours. So the point is, it was, you know, it wasn't that far away. You could reach there before, you know, too much time. And that's where these guys, these guys were headed. And of course, the subject of these men's conversation uh, was about what happened uh, just recently there in Jerusalem with Jesus uh, being crucified and um, being buried. And then, of course, this talk about the empty tomb. Now, I'm thinking, remember when we talked about in Luke 23:49 about the acquaintances of Jesus that stood afar off? I'm thinking that these men may have very well been a part of that group that may have stood off and saw Jesus uh, perish on the cross. So I'm thinking they may have been a part of that group. And uh, these, it's interesting also to me, that uh, these men had left Jerusalem and started walking toward Emmaus on the very day that Jesus is said to to have come back, uh, had uh, come out of the tomb. Of course, that would make sense because they'd have to stay in Jerusalem because of the Sabbath and so forth. So as soon as uh, the Sabbath is over and they were free to travel, uh, they didn't hang around. Uh, they took off. They took off for Emmaus even after uh, they had heard about uh, the report of the empty tomb. They still went ahead and took off uh, toward Emmaus. Now Luke tells us that they were communing and reasoning and of course uh, to commune is to think over something to discuss something uh, we do that too you know if there's a a major news event that that's going on you know it's often the subject of conversation and of course the reasoning that's just trying to figure things out you know you're hearing the details and so forth and so on so you're trying to make sense of what just took place 
what just just took place in Jerusalem. So that's what these men were doing. They were walking to Emmaus, and they were trying to put all these pieces together, and they were trying to consider, you know, what was what they had heard and what took place, and and so that's what was that was going on. They were trying to wrap their minds around uh, this report of an empty tomb and all this kind of stuff. Now, as these men were walking uh, toward Emmaus, they were joined by somebody. They were joined by somebody. Somebody uh, walked right up along beside them and was eavesdropping in on their conversation. And uh, there's an interesting little uh, verse here in verse 16. As soon as this stranger had caught up with them, notice what it says here in verse 16. It says, but their eyes were holden uh, that they should not know him. Now that that word holden is just an old-fashioned word that simply means to be to hold. That's that's what it means. Uh, so it's kind of like you know uh, somebody putting their hands over your eyes. You know you're holding your eyes so you can't see. Well, these guys, um, their eyes were holden, and so they didn't know who it was that was walking next to them. They didn't have any idea who this this uh, stranger was. Now, um, I got to thinking about that. Uh, what are some reasons why uh, someone's eyes would be holding? Why someone wouldn't be able to to recognize? And I got to thinking of Mary Magdalene back there in John twenty thirteen through fourteen. Uh, she didn't know it was Jesus that she was talking to. She thought he was the gardener. But what was going on with Mary at the time? She was crying, right? She was in grief. She was grieving. And so because of her grief, um, she didn't know who it was she was talking to. I mean, her eyes were just full of tears. So she didn't know who it was talking to. So grief could be a reason why uh, people's eyes are holding. Remember, Jesus said in verse 17, he asked him, he says, why are you guys so sad? Why are you guys so sad? So grief is a reason for for uh, someone... Um, uh, to not be able to see uh, distance is another thing uh, in John 21 4 through 6 remember the guys were out in the boat uh, that's when Peter says I go a fishing and so um, Jesus was on the shore and uh, Jesus called out to them and they couldn't really recognize him uh, because of distance so that's another reason why somebody's eyes uh, could be holding is simply you, you couldn't see far enough. But I don't think that's the case here, right? I mean, he's right next to them. He's right next to them. Uh, what about ignorance? You think ignorance can make you blind to certain things? Yeah, I think so too. Ignorance is also a cause of, of uh, uh, someone having their eyes shut uh, to something and um, Especially in a spiritual sense. That's what Isaiah 56.10 says. He says his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorance. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. So that's a spiritual condition. So you can be have that spiritual condition of ignorance and fail to see what is so obvious in God's word. So ignorance can also be. What about disguise? What about disguise? You think if somebody was in disguise, you wouldn't be able to recognize who they are? Yeah, I think so too. First Kings 14.2, that's what Jeroboam's wife did. She wore a disguise when she went to go talk to, uh, I think it was the prophet Elijah. And so she wore this disguise. Uh, didn't work. <laughs> he knew who it was. But she tried to disguise herself to hide her identity. And it could be. I'm just saying it could be Jesus may have been dressed differently because uh, what happened to his clothes? Yeah, they got gambled away, didn't they? Yeah, so he may have had on a different different outfit. I don't know. Uh, he may have had his uh, robe up over his face, hiding his face. I don't know. I don't know. You're ahead of me, hon. <laughs> but that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Then there's unbelief. You know, uh, they simply um, couldn't believe the news. They cert- I mean, this is a pretty wild tale. The tomb's empty. They simply, you know, they simply were hard-pressed to believe the news. That was the problem with Israel and the Messiah. 
You know, uh, Matthew thirteen fourteen, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, saying, "By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand; and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive." So unbelief could do it, but yes, as Doris pointed out, I think there's yet another reason. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. There is another reason for these men failing to recognize who it was that was traveling with them. I mean, quite honestly, put yourself in these guys' place. The last person you would expect to see would have been Jesus, right? That would have been the last person you would have been you would have expected to see because what was their last image of Jesus? Dead on the cross. Yeah, that was their last image of Jesus, dead on the cross. But there's a reason why their eyes were hidden. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. So here they are, they're wrestling in their minds. They're trying to figure out all that's going on. They're trying to understand this bit about the empty tomb. And, you know, didn't we see him hanging on the cross? So this is what they're talking about. So Jesus walks up alongside them while on the way, and he asks them a question. Luke 24, 17. And he said unto them, uh, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Why are you so sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, uh, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. So here Jesus is, he comes walking up beside these two men on the way to Emmaus. And to break the ice, Jesus asks these two men uh, what they were talking about. Now, do you think that would have been rude? (laughs) I think in our culture, we'd probably think that was rude, somebody butting in on our conversation. But in that culture, not so. I remember those times that we went to India. Um, I don't care where you went, whatever it was you were doing, you always had an audience. You always had an audience. People would circle around whatever it was you were doing, and every once in a while, somebody would make a comment about what it was you were doing. And I think that's the way it was with this culture as well. So I think it would be perfectly natural for uh, this person who would come along and join you as you travel to a next village and become a part of the conversation just to pass the time, right? Just to pass the time. We kind of do it when we get on a plane or on a bus. You know, we speak to the person next to us. So he's, so he's asking them, uh, what's going on? And he notices that they were, they were sad. Uh, they were sad about whatever it was that they were talking about. Now, why do you think they were sad? Because they thought Jesus was going to free him from the There you go. Yeah. She said because they thought Jesus was going to deliver the nation of Israel from the Romans. Right? So what did, what did they lose? Four-letter word starts with H, ends with E. Hope. Yeah. They lost some hope, didn't they? They lost their hope. And this may have been the cause of their leaving Jerusalem and heading home for Emmaus. Remember when I talked about the difference between men and women, how men have to have that that purpose, that, that leadership in their lives. And if that purpose or that leadership is taken away from them, what happens? Yeah, they lose hope. They lose hope. So their leader was taken from them. As far as they were concerned, he was dead and gone. So they, they lost their hope. In fact, if you look at verse 21, look what it says there in verse 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. So that's their, that was their hope. In fact, it's kind of interesting, that very same word hope, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. That very same word trusted is also translated in another way. King James Version translates it in another way. Whenever anybody gets to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, would somebody please read that? You see that uh, phrase there, things hoped for? 
The word hoped, same word trust. It's the same word. It's the same word. Some 11 times this word that's translated trust here in Luke is translated as hope or hoped in the New Testament. So they hoped that Jesus would have been the one to deliver Israel. Now Proverbs 13:12 says something about hope. It says hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Have you ever had a hope only to have it deferred? Deferred means postponed or prolonged. You know, you're really hoping you know, that check comes in the mail and it's, it just doesn't come, right? Or you're hoping somebody comes to visit and they, they just don't come. That's a hope deferred. It just makes your, makes your heart sick. And I believe these men have aptly expressed the hope of all of Jesus' followers at the time because they all trusted that Jesus would have been the one the Messiah, to deliver Israel. To deliver Israel. You remember when uh, Jesus was walking with his disciples to uh, the, the mountain where he ascended back into heaven? What was the question that his disciples asked Jesus prior to his ascension in heaven? Will you restore the kingdom at this time? See, even up to that point, <laughs> that was their hope. Even up to that point, that was their hope. They were hoping that Jesus would restore the kingdom, even prior to his ascension in heaven. You know, that's also kind of the same hope that we have. What is our hope? Or who is our hope? Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Is that what you're hoping for? Are you hoping to see Jesus one of these days? I hope so. I don't mean it to say it that way. But I hope that's your hope. That you're hoping to see Jesus one of these days. That's the same thing with these men. Uh, more specifically, what they hoped in. They hoped in the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. They were hoping that Jesus would come and redeem Israel. But this particular hope has been put on hold. It's been postponed. It's been prolonged. It's been deferred. It's been deferred. I mean, when we looked through, uh, looked at Luke chapter 21, we, we looked at this. Remember when I wrote out that big long diagram of all the dispensations and all that kind of stuff? Jesus told his disciples at that very time, hey, the kingdom is put on hold for a little while. That's what he taught his disciples in Luke 21. That's the whole purpose of Luke 21, to inform his disciples that the kingdom has been put on hold. Because there's a certain times that must be fulfilled. Do you remember what those times was? The times of the Gentiles. That's where we're living in right now. Until the times of the Gentiles are finished and the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So the kingdom is put on hold. Did they get it? Did they get it? Did they understand that's what he was telling them? Obviously not. Gosh, you know, we can be so hard on these guys, but honestly, there's times when Brian preaches, and I know he's preaching truth, but I don't get it. (laughs) I don't always get it until later. We're no different. We're no different. You see, these men didn't come to understand what Jesus was teaching them about, the kingdom and so forth, until after Pentecost, when who shows up? And after Paul wrote in his epistles, because God revealed to Paul, Paul, this is what's going on right now. Okay, so they didn't learn about that in detail until much, until much later. You know, one of the ways that our hope uh, may make our hearts sick, and I don't mean to be harsh in saying this, but it's true in my own case, But one of the reasons why our hope may make our hearts sick is because we don't have a mature understanding of God's word and God's will 
in God's plan. We don't have a mature understanding of what it is that God's word is telling us. We all have certain expectations about how things should go or how things should operate. But then when we find ourselves becoming disappointed and our hopes don't pan out as we think they should, then we get heartsick, don't we? We get sad. Now there's a lot of variables that may play into deferring one's hope, but I think one that many of God's people fail to consider is that your or my particular hope may not be in line with God's word or in God's will or in God's plan, which is according to his word. Sometimes what we hope for is not necessarily what God's word tells us. Could be that our hope is based more on a self-centered aspiration or a dream that we have about ourselves, but it doesn't line up with God's word. We have certain expectations. I mean, there was a time I had a certain expectation, a hope to serve the Lord in a particular way, in a particular place. And I was all prepared. I was, I was all ready to, 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 to set my hope in action. But then certain circumstances uh, fell out uh, that uh, clearly negated all that I hoped for. God was clearly shutting the doors of my hope. And it was very clear. And it made my heart sick. Because I really set my hope on this certain thing that I wanted to to do. So it left me wondering, did I get it all wrong? Did I get it all wrong? Did Did I miss something? And it wasn't until much later that I realized that God had other plans for me and my wife to serve in another place in another way than the way that I hoped for, the way that I desired. And you know, looking back at it now, if I would have forced my hope, it would have been a disaster. It would have been an absolute disaster. See, my motive for serving God was right. It was simply that my hope was not God's will for me. And what I learned was this. I have to be submissive to his leading and not in my hoping. And that's what these men needed. They needed to have their understanding perfected and their hope redirected in accordance to God's word and God's will. And that's where a lot of us may find ourselves. That's where a lot of us may find ourselves. In answer to Jesus' question, this man by the name of Cleopas spoke up. Now, his name means of a renowned father. And there's another man by a similar name in John's Gospel. John 19.25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, which would make her what? Her sister-in-law, right? And Mary, the wife of Cleopas, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, which is his mother's sister, and Mary Magdalene. So the name Cleopas, P-H-A-S, means my exchange, who was the husband of this Mary, who was the sister-in-law of Mary, which means that this Mary's brother's was Joseph. Okay? Does that make sense? I kind of muddled that all up. So Joseph was the brother of this Mary who was married to Cleophas. Does that make it? That's better. That's a little better. So that was her. That was So he, Cleophas was Mary's brother-in-law, mother of the Lord. Okay, that's enough. I butchered that too much. <laughs> 
Now, I don't believe this Cleophas is the same guy as Cleopas. I think we're talking about two different men. Some, some try to make that connection. I'm not going to break fellowship. Because, you know, quite frankly, sometimes we Christians, we argue over these little tiny details that don't mean a hill of beans. Honestly. So if you want to believe this, these guys are the same guy, that's, good. that's okay. Go ahead. I'm not going to break fellowship over that. I think you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's not, it's just not important enough. At best, this Cleopas of Luke's gospel is a disciple of the Lord. And I do think he was part of the crowd that witnessed the death of Jesus. I do believe that. I do believe that. Now, what I love is Cleopas' response to this stranger. And essentially what it was was this. Where have you been? Right? Where have you been? Because, yeah, were you under a rock? Because the question that Jesus asked to him sounded incredible. Are you kidding me? You don't know what's, what's been going on in Jerusalem? I mean, maybe he thought he was dealing with a simpleton. Or maybe he thought he was just dealing with the most uninformed person in his entire life. I don't know. Now, do you think Jesus asked what things because he needed to know? Because he was uninformed? No. What he was doing, you know, whenever Jesus asks a question, you better start sweating. (laughs) He asked this question because he wanted to draw out from these men what was going on in their hearts and minds. Because he had to deal with that. That's what he wanted to deal with. So whenever you're reading in the scriptures and it asks you a question, there's a reason for that. What's going on inside you, Jeff? We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. So Cleopas says here in verse 21, And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. There's a lot here. There's a lot revealed here. First, they begin by identifying who it was they were talking about. Jesus of Nazareth. And that's, that's, that's common. Because that's how Jesus himself identified himself. This is how they always identified Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. This was totally normal. Totally normal. In fact, when Pilate, uh, he identified Jesus in the very same way when he put that uh, placard over his head on the cross. Uh, writing Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That's just a, that was just a common way of identifying him. But notice the past tense used by Cleopas here, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word before God and all the people. You see, in Cleopas's mind, Jesus was past tense. He's gone. He's gone. Also take note, which was a prophet, mighty indeed. A prophet. Indeed, Jesus was a prophet, and we talked about this. But he wasn't just a prophet, was he? No, he was the prophet that Moses talked about. So he was more than just a prophet. So you see, we're getting some insight into what's going on in these guys' hearts and minds. And again, they betray their imperfect understanding. They saw him die on the cross. He's gone. He's gone. The one thing they did get right is about who, who, the Pharisees part in the whole thing. He certainly laid the blame right where it belongs. You know, our leaders took him and crucified him on the cross. They did get that right. 
They did get that right. So much for the report. Now we get to the why. Why did Jesus ask the question? Look at verse 21. But we trusted, hoped, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished. The news that they told us was just too incredible to believe. Which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But what does it say there? But him they saw not. But we trusted. Here's the rub. It was this very matter that Jesus was going to correct in their imperfect understanding concerning what took place those past three days. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming in his ministry. His purpose in asking the question was to bring these men's understanding in line with God's plan, God's purpose, God's will in the whole thing. What does God's word say about the matter? Notice again the timeline. Today is the third day since these things were done. On the very day of the resurrection, they were headed for Emmaus. They were quitting Jerusalem and headed for Emmaus. They heard the report of those who saw the angels. They heard about the empty tomb. But again, like I said in verse 24, that last little phrase, but him... They saw not. Were they open to see? <laughs> they weren't too sure. Yeah. See, I think these guys. Well, first of all, what it tells me, if you read the account, uh, they didn't hang around to hear Mary Magdalene's report, because shortly thereafter, Mary Magdalene spoke with the Lord in the garden. She thought it was the gardener. But it was actually him. She went back and told... So they weren't there when Mary came and said, I saw him. So they didn't have that piece of news. They didn't have that piece of news. They were with the company. They were with the company, but they left before Mary showed up. They were headed for Emmaus. They were were quitting. That's my opinion. I think they were quitting. And I wonder even if they heard Mary's testimony, if they still would believe because the guys didn't believe it when Mary told them. This is just too hard for them to wrap their minds around. I don't think we'd be any different. Honestly, I don't think we'd be any different. But what these guys had is what I call the Thomas Syndrome. <laughs> Show me the body. Show me the body. Remember what Thomas said? Unless I put my fingers... And in the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand into his side. Show me the body. These men needed more than just testimonials. They needed more than angels' words. They needed more than an empty tomb. They needed to see Jesus. They needed to see Jesus. You know, I had a friend years and years ago. Uh, He was one of those guys that you witness until you're blue in the face. And he was always wrestling with believing in God. And he was a very intelligent man. In fact, uh, he he became a teacher in one of the uh, universities here in the state of Missouri. He was a he became a professor in the state of uh, one of the big universities in the state of a very intelligent man. Uh, He had a mind like a steel trap, whereas mine's more like a sieve. I mean, he was bright. He was a very bright man. Um, I, I do. I am grateful for knowing him because he pushed me to study. I am very grateful for that. He pushed me to study. 
Anyway, he's a very intelligent man. I remember one day he confessed to me that he placed a pencil on his desk. And he said, I prayed earnestly, Lord, if you would simply move that pencil from one side of my desk to the other, then I'll believe. Of course, it didn't happen. And even if it did happen, knowing my friend, he would, he would have a natural cause for what that pencil moved. If there was an earthquake or a breeze or whatever. He would, have, you know, he would have had a reason. Do you think we have proof? Do we have proof that Jesus rose from the grave? How come I'm not saying yes, we do? Because we do. We do have proof. I love what um, Luke writes later on in Acts chapter Acts chapter uh, three, Acts chapter one, verse three. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Yeah, we've got proof. We got proof. Um, guys, we're kind of like these fellows going to Emmaus. Because you know what we have to believe? We have to believe the testimonial of those who saw him. We're just like those guys in Emmaus. I'm really excited about our study that Brian's getting ready to go through with First John. Listen to First John chapter one, one through three. That which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. I don't know about you, but that sends chills down my spine. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We have to believe in the testimony of those who were there. And I am so glad we have that testimony. So glad we have that testimony. Jeff, forgive me, I wasn't here at the first. Did Jesus pick these two guys out because they were falling away? Did Jesus decide to walk with them Well, what do you think? Well, I know that, yeah, he did. But okay. Why those? I, I can't answer that. You ask him when you see him. Okay. <laughs> these men had the testimony. These men had the testimony. And they were still skeptical. But in all their communing and all their reasoning, they were neglecting a very important resource in all of that communing and reasoning. So now, it's a time for a Bible study. And that's what Jesus does. Romans 10, 17, what does that say? So then faith cometh by hearing. There you go. These men were about to get schooled. Verse 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. There's the problem. That's the same problem you and I have. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets? That's what that sheet's all about. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You realize the only time Jesus ever called anybody a fool was because they did not believe what God's word said? That's the only time. That's the only time. A fool is not someone who's deficient in mental aptitude, but rather it's someone who knows the truth and refuses to believe that truth. That's a fool. That's a fool. A fool is someone who declares that they choose truth over facts. 
and I'll just let that rest. In other words, they prefer their own brand of truth over the truth. He also says, slow of heart to believe. You dull-witted. You dull-witted men. So slow to comprehend what these folks are telling you. So slow to comprehend what the prophets have said about me. So slow to comprehend. I can't be too hard on them. (laughs) I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I'm so slow to comprehend sometimes. I had a pastor one time that just kept preaching at me. You just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it, do you? (laughs) Made me feel real good. Jesus said to them, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? He had to. It was necessary. I, this word ought, I turn to Matthew 16, 21. I want to show you what this word ought means. Matthew 16, 21. Somebody get there or read it out loud. You're right. <laughs> See that uh, little phrase, must go? That's the word ought. That's the word ought. Matthew 26, 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be, ought to be? Mark 8.31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Same word, ought. It was a must. It was a must. What must be, what ought to be, is the very thing that his disciples refused to accept. Just as the religious, think of it this way, guys. Just as the religious leadership refused to accept that Jesus was the Christ, in the, sa- in the very same vein, his disciples refused to accept what he was telling them I have to suffer, die, and be, be buried. In the very same vein, they refused to receive that from him. I ought to suffer. I have to suffer. Whether you like it or not, that's just the way it's got to be. We don't like to hear that sometimes, do we? That's just the way it's got to be. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That is so hard. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We'll find ourselves in situations that we don't understand what's going on. But we ought to trust in God. We must trust in God. Um... I don't know if it was Wednesday night, if Brian talked about this, but he talked about the character of God. Maybe it was last Sunday. But he said the character of God is good. He's a good father. And we must believe that whatever is going on, it's for the good. It's for the good. You see, at such times, God is not expecting complete comprehension on our part. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for, do you trust me? Noah, go build an ark. Huh? Do you trust me? Abraham, leave this land and go into a land that I will show you. Huh? Do you trust me? That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. Do you trust me? 
Now, sometimes in those situations, understanding will often follow trust. Not always. He never explained to Job what was going on. But what did Job say? Though he slay me. Yeah. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. And so what Jesus does, he begins with Moses and the prophets, and he runs them through a Bible study like they've never been a part of. Like they've never been a part of. Uh, Years and years ago, I read a book, I can't remember the author, uh, Christ in All the Bible. And it was a thick, heavy read. But this guy who wrote the book, from Genesis to Revelations, showed Christ in all the Bible, all the cross-references and everything. I mean, my goodness, what a heavy read, but what a rich read it was. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. And the one resource that these men failed to resort to was the one resource that we must turn to. The word of God. What saith the scriptures? And so for the next two, two and a half hours, these men were in the greatest Bible study they had ever experienced in their lives. He may have started with Genesis 3.15 about the seed of the woman, progressed to the scriptures, talked about being born of the virgin, Talked about the prophetic history, maybe even brought up some types in the scripture like Joseph and David. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. But he opened the word of God before these men like they've never experienced before. He may have expanded on Isaiah 53. I don't know. He may have talked about Psalms 22. I don't know. He may have quoted uh, Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. But that had to have been the greatest Bible study these men had ever been a part of. And then there was the great reveal. After this Bible study, there was the great reveal. Verse 28. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave it to, gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. As they listened to his exposition of the scriptures, they drew near to the destination. As they began to turn in to where they were going to stay, Jesus acted as though he had another place to go. They said, wait a minute, where are you going? Don't leave yet. They didn't want this to end. They wanted to hear more about what this stranger this stranger said to them because remember up to this point they still don't know who it is so they would have had to have seen they would have had to physically see oh yeah they, they physically saw but I mean even beforehand to know hey oh that's Jesus uh, no. no no they didn't see him until something happened gotcha. and we'll get to that they didn't want this to end Have you ever sat under a preacher that had you absolutely spellbound? So much so you didn't want him to stop preaching? Multiply that by 10. Multiply that by 100. They wanted this stranger to come with them and eat with them. And their reason was, hey, it's getting late. Don't, don't, don't take off. Come, we'll, we'll even buy you a dinner. We'll even buy you a dinner. So Jesus takes advantage of the invitation. He goes with them. And while they're getting ready to eat, 
These men see Jesus do something they've probably seen him do before. Some folks believe that these men were there when he fed the 5,000. Maybe he was there when he fed the 4,000. But they see him doing something that they've seen him do before. Remember what Jesus said back in Luke 4.4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You see, the bread of life had already broken bread with these men on the way. That's what he was doing when he was opening up the Mo- uh, Moses and the prophets. He was breaking spiritual bread with these men. Feeding them with that spiritual bread, which is the word of God. Jesus said, uh, I think, for some reason, uh, Brian, there's a lot of connection here. Wednesday, Brian talked about this on Wednesday night in John 6, 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, seek me, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He says, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which, which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for whom, for him hath God the Father sealed. You see, men chase after physical bread that never satisfies. Even believers chase after physical bread that never satisfies. The only bread that's going to satisfy that spiritual need is the bread of God's word. That's the only bread that's going to feed that hungry soul of yours. That's the only bread that's going to meet that real need of yours. And just as one is deprived of physical bread and begins to starve and become weak, if you deprive yourself of that spiritual bread, the word of God, you you also are going to become hungry and weak and starved. I just don't get it. How a person... Okay, I'm going to start getting mean here. I just don't get it how a person can claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he's my Savior. Yes, he's my Lord. But yet you deprive the word of God. You don't get into the Word of God on a daily basis. You don't read what He wants to say to you and what He tells you and what His plan is for you and what His will is and what His purpose is. I don't understand that. First Peter tells us, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the Word. You know when a baby stops being hungry? When it's dead. Are you dead? Is there no life? Why are you depriving yourself of the bread of life? I'm getting worked up. I apologize. But I just don't get it. Oh, they'll read everything else under the sun. They'll run to this guy's book or that gal's book. Or they'll listen to some knucklehead on the radio or on television. But for some reason, they will not go to the word of God. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Deep breath. Yeah, it could be. Exactly. Exactly. You took my thunder away. <laughs> That's exactly right, Mark. You took my thunder away. I'm glad somebody's tracking with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There was the great reveal when he broke the bread. And then, ah, it's Jesus. It was him all along. Yeah, exactly. And what did they do after he vanished out of their sight? And we'll talk about that when we get to the next lesson. Jesus was no ghost. He was no apparition, I think is the word. And we'll talk about that. But what was the men's reaction to this? <laughs> their hearts burned. Their hearts burned within them. 
Because Jesus breathed life back into the waning embers of their faith. If your faith is wavering, get into the Word! Let it breathe life back in there and let it flame up and let it burn in your bones. That's right. Then they rose up. The very hour they rose up and they hoofed it back to Jerusalem to tell, hey guys, guess what? Who are you telling? Hey guys, guess what? And then of course we see Peter here. Peter also saw the Lord and so he reinforces the experience of these men. And you know what that tells me? Why do God's people not fellowship with God's people? Why do they choose to stay home and not come to church and be with God's people? Why do they choose when they can, but they won't come to be with God's people in God's house and hear God's word? We need each other. I need to hear how God's working in your life, and you need to hear how God's working in my life, no matter how boring that might be. But we need each other. The key here is the breaking of the bread. How he was known of them in the breaking of the bread. Earlier I spoke about all those reasons why eyes were holden. Turn to Mark 16.12. Turn to Mark 16.12. When somebody gets to Mark 16.12, uh, read it. All right, so after that he appeared in another form unto two of them. The only other place you're going to find this particular word in the, uh, translated here from the Greek, the only other place that you're going to find this particular word, it is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Who being in the form of God... Thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men. It's the same word. That's the only time you're going to find it in Mark and in Philippians. The word form uh, is, doesn't speak a change in the essential nature or personality, but in the method of manifestation. Jesus chose not to manifest himself to these two men who were wrestling with their faith about what they had heard, whose hope had been deferred until after he took them through the scriptures about himself and then broke the bread. And after he had revealed himself through the scripture to these men, then he showed to these men who it was that was talking to them. It is only through partaking in the bread of God's word that you will see Jesus. That is the only place you will meet with Jesus is in God's word. And if you deprive yourself of God's word, I dare say you deprive yourself of the fellowship that you can have with Jesus. He opened their understanding. And I'll say this in closing. Beware of moldy bread. Because it is being sold to thousands and thousands of Christians. Moldy bread. And they try to convince the people that this moldy bread is just as good, if not improved. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. You feast on the true bread, for it is this bread that he will fellowship with you and communicate with you and reveal his word and his will to you. Don't deprive yourself. Don't deprive yourself. Go to the bread of life, the word of God, 
and learn his will, his plan, and his purpose for you and for you in this church. Father in heaven, we thank you now, Lord, for the word that you've given us. I pray, Father in heaven, that it's profitable. I pray, Father in heaven, that the, the, these dear folks have been edified. And help us, Father, to just be like children, newborn babes, and just desire that sincere milk of the word, knowing that in the scriptures and in the scriptures alone, uh, we will see you. We thank you and praise you for this blessed gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.